The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. People want to make friends? Just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This is what you get when everyone's worried about a late September swoon, a market that opens strong but then can't stay strong because people want to get out while the getting's good. Sure, the Dow ultimately finished up 262 points, S&P rose 0.23%, but then NASDAQ, well, it ended up down 0.07%. We have a rotating cast of leaders. There's no consistency whatsoever in this market. Today, the Dow is up, NASDAQ down. Tomorrow could be easily the other way around. In fact, I expect it to be. Last week, we talked about how September 17th typically marks the beginning of a significant decline in the averages, at least for the last 20 years. Now, of course, we're relying on the work of Larry Williams, perhaps the greatest technician of our year, because he can spot patterns before they happen. He's just looking historically. It doesn't look good. Today, as we saw all last week, this market sucks in optimists who want a bottom fisher scalp, and then they find themselves hit by a tsunami of selling. That's what happened in the S&P and the NASDAQ, although the Dow did manage to hold up today, but it's been suffering some serious losses. This kind of pattern is often a prelude to a, prelude to a widespread sense of buyers from worse. As people probably chase the Dow tomorrow when they should have been buying the NASDAQ. It's how markets get exhausted. It's how you get exhausted. It's how I get exhausted. It's why I think Williams will be right in his prediction that we are headed for a downturn next week. What causes the late September swoon? Well, this is one of those cases where we actually have to take our cue from Tolstoy. Yes, Anna Karenina. All happy markets are alike. Each unhappy sell-off is unhappy in its own way. In other words, it varies. But at this time of the year, we usually get a confluence of negatives that causes stocks to get hit. An accumulation of disappointment and confusion because buyers feel like they had enough and they've been had. Look at the market leadership right now. Today, it's narrow. Every day, there's a different group of leaders. That's okay. Um, which of the leaders really has staying power? Right now, the only sector with true staying power is oil and gas. Gas being particularly bad. That is the worst kind of leadership. Granted, there are algorithms that are set to buy all kinds of industrial stocks every time oil goes up because the algos actually think that it means the economy is getting stronger. Often, but not always. At the moment, the algorithms are playing wrong. 
When oil goes up these days, it only benefits the oil industry. Good news for shareholders, and I'll give you a couple couple of them that people are crazy about today. Occidental, Pioneer National, Devon Energy, Chevron. But bad news for any company that actually consumes oil or gas, which is pretty much everybody. I like Pioneer, I like Devon, and I like Chevron. Occidental's too oil-focused in an environment where natural gas is the real winner because it's suddenly become very scarce. We're going to focus on that all week. So you can buy the better oil and gas names, but don't fool yourself, please. They're terrible leaders for the stock market. We're talking general Custer-level leadership when these are the only groups that consistently rally. The market's not going to go anywhere. Why? Because high energy prices are part of the basket of rising raw costs that plague every single industry and is really starting to get us down. When the oil and gas stocks lead, you always get the sense that crude's about to bust out, right? However, I remain convinced that when oil gets to 70, as it did today, the Saudis will turn on the spigot and bring the price down in order to keep a lid on their American competitors. If they have too much money, the American competitors will drill, and that'll hurt Saudis' market share. Now, it gets worse. Unlike the idiotic algorithms, we know the truth. When the petroleum complex goes higher, that represents inflation, which then translates ultimately into lower stock prices. Yes, if it's transitory, we're fine. If it's not, well, it's starting to weigh on me, too. When is the transitory actually over? These days, we're seeing higher costs reverberate throughout what we call the system. Transport, transport costs are climbing at a record pace. Plastics are through the roof. That unholy matrimony of winter storm Yuri and Hurricane Ida has shut down so much production capacity that everything from paper to plastics to basic products like boxes and plastic cups are soaring in price. That's the stuff. Hey, when you get a cup of coffee, it's more expensive than you did. Someone's eating that price increase. Aluminum, a huge energy user, is at prices we haven't seen in ages. I went and bought a bike this weekend. I mean, the bikes were all priced at like between $2,000 and $4,000. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not paying that price. Infl- I got a better one for like 700 That's not cheap either. Inflation is rolling through the system seemingly everywhere. It is hard to find anything that's the same price as it was a year ago and practically impossible to find anything that's lower. Let me know. Go on Twitter and tweet me if you have anything that's lower other than your industrial stock prices. I bet we get a red-hot CPI tomorrow morning. If that were just it, maybe we could look the other way. But it's not just that rising prices are everywhere. It's also that we got shortages all over the place. Now, this morning, 3M, great company, right, talked about how inflation is higher than expected and business is being rocked by forecasts that just aren't negative enough. Supply chain interruptions are endemic. That's how 3M could guide for down 6% for auto production when just a few months ago they thought it would beat down only 3%, as if somehow that's an okay decline. 3M's not alone. If anything, it's a precursor to what other industrials are probably going to say over the next few weeks. Many of them are already down for the year without much upside for anyone else. At the same time, m- many of the transports are doing worse because of congested ports, both here and in Asia. They had a nice relief rally today, but don't chase. What's incredible for me is that we, we want, well, here's what we really want to say. Of course these are known and they're bad. Yeah, I mean, forget about it. Yet each time we read these stories, investors act surprised and they sell. Same with retail. Almost every retailer is scrambling to get product for the holidays, and it seems as, as if much of what they want either can't be found or stalled off the coast somewhere eight days out in a port. Uh, perhaps a COVID-struck port in China or Vietnam, with the later, latter complicated by ports that simply aren't scaling. Just today, we got a report from Brokerage House that Nike will likely miss the quarter because of a COVID outbreak in Vietnam. That sucks up 12%. You can't handle that kind of disappointment. Neither can many others. The strange thing is that tech has been seen as a safe haven, and it got bid up all over the place in the last few weeks. But we don't have a substantive reason to keep buying. There is no gold rush in tech. They can only go up so far without new information, and there just isn't any. 
Tech is the group that has the most to lose going into the 17th. I do not expect a big move up ahead of that seasonal weakness. Only the semiconductors put on a decent show today, although no one I know could figure out why. I mean, I don't trust the semi-rally. I think it was just related to Apple's new phone launch. And in the interim, we see a parade of tech IPOs that nobody really wants. They're just saturating all the buyers. But we can't do anything about that, can we? Sure, on any given day, we can see a relief rally. Today, the Dow hauled up just fine. Some healthcare stocks went higher, chiefly the health insurers. Banks put it on a decent show. What do you do? Just like I have a couple oils, I like, I like Wells Fargo. That's a stock down hard because of a $250 million federal fine uh, for things the old guard did, not the new one. The company's stock lost $20 billion in market cap in anticipation of a much larger punishment. But these made up only a fraction of, of the decline. I mean, Wells is still a buyer. Now, I don't want to be too aggressive about anything, though, because if that litany of ports, freight, raw costs, overvaluation isn't enough, we got the Democratic leadership trying to raise taxes, especially for corporations. And that doesn't help the bookcase either, does it? That said, I doubt they have the votes in the Senate. Oh, and guess what? If we don't have enough wage inflation, they want to create more jobs, but they can't create more people to fill them. I have said over and over again to you that September is the cruelest month. And it's playing out that way once again, with rolling corrections all over the place. Something that is, again, typically a precursor to the seasonal decline that begins in just a couple of days. Something I know traders can be buzzing about. Bottom line, right now, you're better off keeping some cash, owning some gold, more on that later. And if you're a trader, maybe you heed the Larry Williams warning, do some selling this week. If only to get ahead of those who are unaware that September 17th typically kicks off the toughest period of the year. I want to start with Gary in New York. Gary. Hey, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking my phone of call. Of course. Of course. Jim, do you think C, uh, C stock uh, is a good buy right now? C, C limited? Yeah, I C think limited, it's one yes. of the, it reminds me of Mercado Libre. No one's focused on it. I think it's just a terrific, terrific idea. I'm going to encourage you to buy some now and then buy some lower. I do think that much of that company. Jay in California. Jay. Hey, Jimmy Chill. We love you here in downtown L.A. You're the best, Jimmy. <laughs> I hey, love Jim. L.A. so much. I just love it. How can I yeah. help? Yeah. Hey, Jim. I bought $66,000 worth of Roku stock about two months ago, and it used to be called the King of Kings, the best of the high-flying stocks. But it fell quite a bit. It was up 192% in one year. It took a dive for about 30%, fell pretty hard. The crazy thing is, Jim, it had an incredible earnings report on August 4th. It was amazing. So question, why did it fall so hard? And should I actually buy more now because of the huge Answer, Jay, answer, like Zoom. By the way, Zoomtopia started today. Like Zoom, people are just saying, you know what? That is a pre-opening trade. People don't want to stop buy stuff. Just like the video games. No one wants to, people think nobody wants to stay home anymore. Can we go to Sir Nanda, also in California? Sir Nanda. Hello, Jim. Thanks for everything. Even my 10-year-old learning from your book. And uh, we're very happy to hear you. I want to ask about Intuit. The stock is doing great, but the CFO sold about 5 trillion million of shares. Yeah, but you know what? They did make a big acquisition after the close today. I think people are going to like the acquisition. Now, let me just just say one thing. They bought this company called Credit Karma. People love checking their credit score. I can't believe people on Credit Karma all day. I mean, like, 
Wow, they got a lot of time on their hands. I liken to it. I think it is just changing the way small business does business. I would buy it. All right. It's begun. September is the cruelest month of all. So you're better off keeping some cash, owning some gold. And if you're a trader, maybe do some selling. Yeah, selling. Oh, man, money tonight. Gold ticked higher today ahead of some key U.S. economic data. This week, it's going to be red hot. But with the precious metal being unable to break out in recent weeks, what could the future hold for one of the world's biggest miners? Barrett. I'm going to get the latest from the CEO. You know I love that guy. Then there's more to investing in travel than just airlines and hotels. I'm going to take a closer look at some new travel plays that you know about. And you can make up your mind whether you want to own them. And Cloudflare is hosting Speed Week in an effort to highlight the impatience we all have with slow connections. I'm talking to the company's CEO, learning more about their mission to make the Internet a faster place. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. been a lost year for gold prices, and thus a kind of a lost year for the gold miners themselves, including Kramer Fave Barrick Gold. 
But you know what? I need you to think of these precious metals as an insurance policy. It's not supposed to work in all environments. It works when things go bad, specifically in times of inflation and economic insecurity. Right now, as we navigate a tricky September with all sorts of potential problems, suboptimal earnings, spillover from the communist shakeup in China, rampant inflation all over the place, i got to wonder if this might be the perfect time to start beefing up your gold holdings. For me, the ideal way to do that is with the best-run gold miner by far, and that is Barrick. So let's check in with Dr. Mark Bristow. He's the president and CEO of Barrick Gold, who joins us as the 2021 Mine Expo International gets underway in Las Vegas, where he'll be a keynote speaker. Dr. Bristow, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. All right, so, Mark, I got to tell you, I'm kind of caught. I've got a couple of pieces here. I got a J.P. Morgan piece that says your costs are going down. Your uh, what you're coming is going, what you're getting is going up. And then I got a Jeffries piece saying your costs are going up and what you're getting is coming down. I'd like to be able to think that none of these really matter. And what matters is that you're returning capital to shareholders as you always do. Two things: we're not only returning capital to shareholders, but we're investing in our future. You and I have spoken about this a lot. You know, this is about a long-term game, a stable uh, insurance policy to investors. You have also criticized some of your colleagues who seem both short-term oriented and unwilling to be able to rationalize costs, but perhaps by merging in in equal, uh, I know you like these equal deals. Well, you know, Jim, remember you go back to 2010, 11, Everyone was encouraging people to get bigger and grow, and now they want the money back. Um, But, you know, this is a consumptive industry. We've got to invest in uh, replacing what we mine, and then we will be able to deliver the value. And, you know, Barrick has moved from 2018 with massive debt to no debt, net cash, returning more than 3.7% to our shareholders and investing in our future. You know, it couldn't be better. Well, okay, so let's go to what this means, investing in the future. One of the things I was doing that I found shocking is, look, we've had gold in Nevada for ages, right? When I see what Mark Bristow is doing, I see that there's this thing called Robertson. Newly identified ore control shows potential to significantly extend current ore. How is it that we are just discovering even more gold when we've been in this, when this has been 150 years? Well, you know, sometimes we got confused and we were in a harvest mode rather than a long-term business, sustainably uh, profitable business uh, focus. And so we've not only got Robertson, we've got a pile. We actually own in Nevada the world's best undeveloped gold deposit in the form of Gold Rush. And then behind that, we've got uh, Four Mile. And then we've got the gap between uh, Turquoise Ridge and Twin Creeks, something that was stuck because of the fence that divided the same ore body. But so we've got huge opportunities in Nevada. But one of the things that if you're in a costly business, you spend $253 million on gold rush spent to date. And there's still tons and you're still in pre-production. Mark, sometimes I think your industry is just too darn hard. Well, it's not because the rewards are fantastic, Jim, when you get there. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been able to share those rewards with our state, Nevada, and times like this, really tough times for the state. We've been able to deliver returns to our shareholders when no one else is offering value. And and so this is, you know, for me, you know, when you look at what Barrick is today, it's a combination of three other companies, Rand Gold and Barrick, of course, 
the Nevada assets of Newmont, which is now a joint venture. And of course, remember, we brought back Acacia, we bought back Acacia. So, you know, we're betting that down and we've spent the last two years getting the people right. Now it's about making sure that our exploration team is really the engine that drives our train. Okay, so in uh, your conference call, you talk about the two different uh, relevant prices that you see gold's going to be. And the last one I thought was most relevant was you're thinking about 1700 price. That was the uh, 2021 uh, your budget was based on. Can it go higher from 1700 Is that really the number we, sh- we think that we're going to be around for a while? You know, Jim, as you and I have spoken about many times, you know, in Rand Gold, we used a long-term $1,000 gold right. price to allocate our capital. We now use $1,200. Uh, the budgets, are, we get closer to the spot. So that's why we get to 1700 when we're looking at the next 12 months. But that's completely divorced of our view of what the gold price is potentially going to go to. And, you know, if you look at the amount of money being printed by the uh, global leading economies and all that money, unlike in 2013, has arrived with Joe Public in the market, we've got this massive liquidity. And uh, and as a consequence of that, we have uh, this uh, looming inflation. At the same time, we just, you know, when you when you print money, with an economy that shrunk. It's like me issuing shares with a low market cap. You know, you dilute the very value of that paper. And and that's the challenge that the world is going to have to deal with. And of course, gold measures that. But but I've got to tell you, Mark, I've got people who say, listen, there's too many companies mining gold. It's driving the price down. uh, But we can do Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes up. Gold does nothing. Bitcoin goes up. Why should we be in gold? Could you please explain that that may not be always the case? Well, you know, the one thing about gold, uh, Jim, as you know, is it takes the risk out of any investment over the long term. So if you want to load up in Bitcoin, you better have a lot of gold to to hedge that risk because the Bitcoin goes up and down not necessarily in that order all the time. Well, look, I, I, I'm glad you said that. I, I have always, you know, I've always felt that that gold is the sore hold of all, really, the longer term still hold of value. And if people don't own some gold, that's like not having car insurance. It's just a very big mistake. Mark Bristow, president and CEO of Barrick Gold. You know what? I'm always thrilled to have you on. You tell it straight, no matter what. Thank you for coming on Man Money. Thank you, Jeff. All right. We'll be back at your break. Coming up. Eat, pray, love to profit? Find yourself and find some far-out returns with Kramer's Travel Stocks, next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. After taking a pause last month, the IPO market, well, it's coming back with a vengeance. Yeah, regular viewers know this is not a positive development for stocks, as I said at the top of the show. We keep being flooded with new supply, and that pushes prices down for nearly everything. But even when we're drowning in third-rate deals, there's still some good ones that are worth taking a chance on. You just have to know how to separate the wheat from the chaff. So tonight I'm going to teach you how to do it. In the last few months, we've seen three relatively high-profile travel stocks that you may know the names of coming public, either via traditional IPO or SPAC mergers. And I'm talking about Clear Secure. Blade Air Mobility and Wheels Up. These stocks have performed quite badly, but that's exactly why I'm willing to give these three copies a closer look, because maybe there's some gold buried along with the dross. When it comes to newly public stocks, I'd much rather go bargain hunting than chase after names with much higher valuations. Let's go to work here. Uh, If we go through them one by one, let's start with Clear Secure. This is a technology company that handles biometrics. Their platform examines your eyes, face, and fingerprints to verify your identity. When you go to the airport, you've probably seen clear at the security lines. I'm a member. Their membership program lets you skip most of the lines, although there aren't any right now, and go, well, most, for the most part, and go through a much less extensive screening process because you're already a known individual. While Clear Secure got its start in airport security, now they've expanded to a bunch of new markets. Uh, they cover 106 checkpoints at 38 airports, 26 sports and entertainment partners, and also they handle health passes for COVID-19, along with doing security at a growing number of offices, restaurants, theaters, casinos, and theme parks. The most important part, these guys are the first large-scale mover in biometric-based identification. I think this technology represents the future of both security and maybe even financial transactions. Clear Secure is going to have a huge chunk of that market because right now n- nobody else comes close. Plus, they recently won a major 10-year contract with the TSA to help with enrollment for pre-check applicants. But you know what? That's not enough. Let's talk about the numbers. Those are a little tricky. Clear Secure doesn't readily tell you the total number of paid subscribers. I don't like that. They only disclose Total cumulative enrollments, end quote, which includes everyone who's ever signed up since the platform's inception, and they don't break out which service those people subscribe to. Problematic, given that some of these services are free. For what it's worth, that total uh, cumulative enrollments number crossed 7 million last month. That's up from 5.25 million at the end of last year. According to JP Morgan, their Clear Plus air travel program has more than 2.5 million current subscribers. So that's what we're going to go with. That's a pretty decent number. When you drill down, there are some real issues here, though. Clear Secure's net member retention came in at 80.6% last year. That is down from 85% in early 2020. That means they have nearly 20% churn, which is not good. On the other hand, their business held up just fine, even when air travel collapsed after the pandemic hit, because this is a subscription service, which I like. Plus, as the world started reopening the second quarter, their bookings more than doubled year over year. Putting it all together, my biggest problem with Clear Secure is the valuation. Even after pulling back from its highs, get this, the stock trades at more than 25 times sales, not earnings, sales, which strikes me as very expensive for a company that's not expected to turn a profit until 2023 at the earliest. So as much as I like the biometric ID story, I'm sure you do too. I think there's way too much uncertainty surrounding the numbers to recommend a stock this expensive. I could maybe justify $30, but $44, uh uh-uh, too rich for me. 
Next up is Blade Air Mobility. That's a SPAC deal. We don't like SPACs here, but this one closed in May. We don't like it because they lose money. But think of Blade as an Uber-style platform that lets you book helicopter and amphibious seaplane rides in areas where there tends to be a ton of traffic. They do a lot of business between New York City and the Hamptons or New York City uh, and its various airports and suburbs. Think of it as a very expensive service for, of course, rich people who are too impatient to drive from point A to point B. Honestly, of all the things you could burn money on, avoiding New York traffic actually seems pretty enticing to me. I've not used it. That might seem a little provincial, but they're setting uh, up intra-city routes in the Northeast, building a network on, on in Miami, Chicago, L.A., too. Longer-term, Blade likes to tell a story about electric vertical aircraft, which are more quiet than helicopters and thus can use more routes. Uh, it looks like something out of a science fiction movie, though. Now, when Blade Air Mobility started trading, the SPAC bubble had just burst, and the stock got crushed, sinking from nearly 20 bucks in February to 6 bucks and change in May. Since the deal closed, the stock's been stuck between 7 and 11. It's currently at 9 bucks and change after rallying hard over the past month. Now, Blade has some pretty impressive numbers. The revenue was up 277% in the most recent quarter and up 73% versus 2019, which is what really matters. They're nearly breaking even, too. For me, uh, the best part is the valuation. Right now, Blade has $645 million market cap. Get this, 645 Okay, keep that in mind. Even though the company has $333 million in cash and short-term investments at the end of June. Basically, the business is valued a little more than $300, bucks, 300 million bucks here. I mean, which is what the analysts expect Blade to do in sales by 2024. Even if you use next year's estimates, it's trading only five times sales. Hmm. I think there could be real demand for the service in cities all over the country, even if you don't put much stock in electric vertical aircrafts. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Blade can work its way from nine to maybe the mid-teens in the not-too-distant future, which makes Blade Air Mobility a buy. All aboard! Couldn't resist. Finally, there's wheels up! which is a private aviation service with its own fleet of planes. I'm sure you've heard of it. They offer a membership club for private jets, giving you a way to fly in style, even if you can't afford to buy your own Cessna. In some ways, it's a lot like Blade, except Blade doesn't own any aircraft. They're just an asset-like booking service. They're kind of like an app. Wheels Up is asset-heavy. Nearly two-thirds of their flights use their own aircraft, though they plan to become more asset-light in the next several years. Now, these guys talk about democratizing private aircraft, but the average member spends 70 grand a year on the service. That's a lot cheaper than buying and maintaining your own jet, but I don't want to call that democratic. Still, they've got a major partnership with Delta, now their largest shareholder after wheels up combined with Delta's private jets business. But maybe the best part of the story is that the pandemic has been great for business. In the most recent quarter, wheels up saw its active membership grow uh, by 47%. While live flight legs increased by 146% and total revenue was up 113% year over year. As of the play, this is a SPAC stock that's been hammered. Currently, it's at seven bucks and change, trading less than two times this year's sales estimates. While wheels up is risky, it's also got good growth and the stock is very, very cheap. So you've got my blessing to speculate on wheels up. The bottom line, when it comes to newly public companies, I'd steer clear of expensive, opaque companies like Clear Secure and consider speculating. And it is speculating. Remember, these companies are not making money, uh, but they have revenues. They have revenues. And it's easy to understand them. And I like them. And I think they've got a great reliability. Let's go to Jason in Illinois. Jason. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Jason, good it's good. It's a very good day. How about you? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um, the stock I'm calling about is TripAdvisor. Uh, Trip is a ticker. 
Right. You know about it. Um, I bought around in the 40 to $45 range. You know, after it came off its highs, I figured it was a nice spot. Uh, but obviously with the reopening trade, it's been kind of a tough trade since then. But a lot of good news from there. The partnership today with Amazon's Audible, the TripAdvisor Plus subscription service seems to be going well so far. Just want to know how do you, you know, your feelings on trip. Well, it's a reopening trade. We're starting to get, once again, I mean, this is, like I said, I'm talking at the top of the show. You got this weird situation where last week travel was bad. This week travel's good. Bad, good, bad, good. I think that in the end, TripAdvisor is just okay. All right. But thank you for the call. All right. Now, I want you to take a look at these. These are the new travel stocks. And I am willing to bless speculating in plane air mobility and wheels up. Uh, because I just think that they're too cheap. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with Cloudflare. Oh, man, talk about performance. Yeah, this is web security, and also they have their own content delivery network. So we're going to speak to the CEO. Uh, he's amazing. Then last week, we had a verdict that was reached in the Apple versus Epic case, which sent Apple stock lower. But has Wall Street misinterpreted the headlines? You're going to get my take. Noia calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Some stocks, well, they just don't know when to quit. Stocks like Cloudflare, the content delivery network with a cybersecurity kicker that helps businesses make sure their applications can operate reliably over the web. Yeah, two years ago, Cloudflare came public. This, this company's amazing. It came public at 15 bucks. Since then, the stock has rallied more than 700% to just under 125 today, including quadruple last year, nearly a double from where it was trading this spring. How did they pull that off? By consistently delivering spectacular results? While you might not be familiar with Cloudflare, it's hard to overstate the reach. At the moment, roughly 18% of the Internet is powered by their platform, and they keep expanding. Just today, we learned they've grown their network by another 25% to the point where they are now in 250 cities across more than 100 countries. And by the way, that is exactly why I think this stock's not done. So on the two-year anniversary of their IPO, Let's check in and congratulate Matthew Prince, the co-founder, chairman, CEO of Cloudflare. Get a better sense of how his company's doing. We're headed, Mr. Prince. Welcome back to Mid Money. Jim, thanks for having me on. All right, so Matthew, every time you've been on, you've been on three times. I have seen the total addressable market grow. Now, how is that possible? Because most companies' total addressable market is static. Yours is ecstatic. How's that happen? You know, I think from the very beginning at Cloudflare. We focused on building something fundamental, which was really a better network. And we have, for the last two years since we went public, focused on execution and innovation. And I think this week is really an example of that, where it's speed week for us at Cloudflare, where we're literally reinventing a lot of how the Internet works to make it faster and faster. And so we've released over a thousand new products in the last two years. And we we really, as Michelle, my co-founder, likes to say, are just getting started. Now, uh... I do see a contract that has got to be the greatest contract in the world that you got. I want to know how you win a federal, the federal government contract. We talked to a lot of companies who have been trying to get this business. You got it. Yeah, we, you know, in our, our last earnings call, uh, we, were, we were proud to announce that when the federal government was looking for a zero trust solution across any federal agency, 
comparing us against a number of the of the other competitors in the space, they chose Cloudflare in order to provide our services. And so that's a contract that we think is going to really start to pay dividends uh, next year. Uh, and I think it shows how much we've been able to take the network that we've built and extend it into additional areas, continuing to make the Internet, yes, fast, yes, reliable, but also incredibly secure for governments uh, all the way down to small businesses. And it's, it's been incredibly rewarding for our, our team. Now, uh, what I, I like to see from companies these days is a pay. Yours is uh, pretty much buried in the deck. I'd like to see it right up front. Strong dollar-based net retention, 124% up from 115% a year ago. Could you please explain to people why? how can you be more than 100% net retention? Yeah, so what dollar-based net retention is, is it's almost like same-store sales in, in other, other businesses. If you look at the customers that were on your network a year ago, you have some that leave, uh, and we're very fortunate that we have very, a very sticky product that customers stick around, and then some that spend more. And those that spend more, if they spend more than those that left, then you have a dollar-based net retention that's over 100%. Customers are net adding to using your services. What's been hard about our business is because we don't charge based on usage, we actually have to develop new products and have customers uh, really adopt those products in order for our dollar-based net retention to go up. And so I think that growth from 115% to 124% over the course of the last year is really great evidence that our product and engineering teams have been able to continue to innovate and that customers are adopting more and more of our products every day. Others, uh, have ne- I've never seen something you did in a blog post a couple of months ago. Actual criticism of Amazon Web Services for not passing on savings. Most people are afraid of Amazon Web Services. What, uh, what made you feel so confident that you could actually call them pretty much a price gouger? You know, I think that what we've seen across the industry is that Amazon has been really good at driving down prices in certain areas. They've driven them down in compute. They've driven down in storage. But one of the areas where they just haven't significantly lowered their prices in 10 years, the 10 years that we've been watching them, has been in what they actually charge for bandwidth across their network. And what's crazy is when they send network traffic to our network or we send traffic to their network, and we have a ton of mutual customers, it doesn't cost us any incremental amount. It doesn't cost them any incremental amount. And so our question to them is, why are we charging our customers? Why are they charging their customers for it? When you look at Google, when you look at Microsoft, when you look at the other major cloud providers, they substantially discount their traffic because it's cheaper for them when they service mutual customers. But Amazon doesn't. And so we're working with them. We hope that they will uh, do the right thing and do what the rest of the cloud industry has. But for now, that's a place that they really are gouging their customers. Well, I am sure they're going to be watching and uh, hopefully reach out for comment. Now, uh, Lazarus and Colonial Pipe. These are the two that I think on your security side have made it so that there's an annuity stream, basically. Did, did Colonial Pipe change the world that everybody realized what was really going on? You know, I think one of the things that, that is the case is whenever we see those types of hacking incidents, uh, they are times when our phone rings. And we're proud that whether it's someone who has been hacked or companies that are in similar situations, that they turn to us in order to have our help as part of their security solution in order to stay online. But I think that these types of hacks have been going on for quite some time. I don't think that we're anywhere close to seeing the end of them. But I am optimistic that companies that adopt solutions like Cloudflare around zero trust 
are actually able to get in front of these types of attacks. And what you see from a number of these companies that have been attacked is they say they wish that they called us sooner. And, uh, and so we're happy to help. And again, I think it's important that we make our services not available, not only available to huge customers that can pay us, but also down the rest of the entire value chain, even to small businesses, because what we're seeing is hackers are looking for anywhere that there is soft vulnerability. And it's important for us to be out there in front of it, trying to make sure that we're keeping them safe, no matter who they are. One last question. I see that you've won a couple of the uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. I own cryptocurrency and advising people that it's a good place besides gold. Uh, And I've been concerned that there'll be a hack and my money will vanish. Uh, You are getting these customers. Can I ask you whether you would feel secure if you had your money in one of these exchanges? You know, I think that we've been for a long time, a ton of the Web 3.0 and cryptocurrency universe has relied on Cloudflare to stay available and stay reliable and stay secure online. Um, One of the things that's been actually really amazing is, you know, the old adage is, why do bank robbers rob banks? It's because it's where the money is. Uh, One of the biggest places that uh, cyber attackers are going after right now are the various cryptocurrency exchanges and other cryptocurrency uh, parts of the universe. And we have a front row seat for that. And so we're watching more and more innovation from attackers in that space, but we're staying ahead of it. And we're proud of the fact that we've kept the cryptocurrency customers that are ours secure and safe and helped augment the additional protections that they have in place. And I'd feel safe using any of the cryptocurrency exchanges that uses Cloudflare today. Well, there you go. Uh, I actually, of course, now want to find out which ones are willing to admit it and which one they've sometimes put at the bottom of their site. They should all put it at the bottom of the site so we know. Matthew Prince, congratulations on two years. Cloudflare co-founder, chairman, CEO. What a run. Thank you. Thank you. Addressable market is the way you analyze. This thing is burgeoning, okay? Now, the bad guys are very powerful. I would take anybody that used Cloudflare versus the people who don't. They have money's back in. Right. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning is over! Are you ready, Steve? Dad, the lightning round is over! with Don in Florida. Don! Hey, Booyah, Jim. This booyah. is Don. I'm, I'm an Action Alerts Plus member and yes. a huge fan. Thank you for making me so much money. Wow, that's a nice... Thank you so much, Don. What's up? I've got my son, Donnie, here. He's six years old. He'd like to say hi to you if that's Absolutely. okay with you. Hi, Mr. Kramer. This is Donnie the Third. Me and my dad really like watching your show. Bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, sell. Booyah. Bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, sell. Yay. I, I like that kid, Dot. Stay in the picture. Wait, how about a stock, too? Okay, this is 2% of my portfolio. Uh, you had him on five months ago. Do I buy, sell, or hold Borg Warner? BWA. Right, Borg Warner's next move is not going to come until the semiconductor shortage kind of runs its course, which will be Q1. We're too far away from that. Wait two more months and then pull the trigger. And I've got to tell you, I like the kid. Stays in the picture. Got horse sense. Darren in Michigan. Darren. Hey, Jim. Thanks for the call. Of course. Hey, question. Uh, one that I was uh, watching on your show probably back in January. I bought in at $25, down to 12 Lion Electric. I thought Lion Look, that whole group is just down badly. I totally understand. Uh, I think that it is the best of that group. That said, obviously, all these got eviscerated, but I would I would hold on to it. 
Let's go to Danny in Texas. Danny. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Uh, my question is on Academy Sports and Outdoors, ASO. Uh, they posted their earnings last Thursday. I was wondering if the stock has uh, peaked. That's Ken Hicks. It is not peaked. It sells at eight times earnings. I don't know if you heard Ken on TV. Holy cow. He's as good as he's always been. I like that fella. Steve in Arizona. Steve. Uh, booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah. First, I want to... I want to thank you and your team for the great advice you have given us, teaching us and helping us to gain the courage in investing. Oh, man, that's what we want. That's what we want. We want to get the courage so that you can make these decisions yourself and feel very confident. How can I help? Well, I purchased Magna International in March at $91.50. And while it briefly went up, it has dropped to the $80 range mostly since then. With what you said Friday about September historically, should I take the hit? No, 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 because Magna's good. It's going to end up making a lot of these uh, incredible asset-like cars. If anything, I would wait about three, four weeks if it breaks down and then buy more because Magna's real. Let's get them back on. I like that guy. I need to speak to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. Congratulations on your Eagles. Oh, go birds, man. They look real good. uh, Go Howie Roseman. Fantastic work. What's up? What's up? Uh, I'm calling about Big Five Sporting Goods. It's rated highly, but it's looking top-heavy. Big swings no, up no, one no, no. day. The sporting goods sector, let it come in a little, but this is good. Have you seen Dix? I mean, Dix's stock has been red. I love this group. And by the way, a lot of this stuff is like sold out. You can't even get everything. So I want to stay along that part of the retail complex. Sean in Louisiana. Sean. How you doing, Mr. Jim? I'm doing well, thank you. How about you, Sean? I'm great. I want to hit you with a great big booyah, man. Thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you, partner. Thank you. Absolutely. You helped me uh, me through the pandemic with your uh, Uh, investing advice. Here we go. Man, this is good. This team is great. I'm looking at Regina Gilgan, our executive producer, and also our major domo. How can I help? All right. On IronNet, obviously, it just went. IronMed? Oh, my God. IronNet? Oh, that's a spy. That thing is a meme stock, and we're not meme people here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Sam Waterston was unavailable to break down Apple's recent courtroom clash. But we've got the next best thing. Order in the court. Judge Kramer presides. Next. For all the stupidity in the stock market, Wall Street tends to be a pretty good arbiter about when it comes to figuring out if something's good or bad for business. Except, except that is when it comes to lawsuits. Last Friday, a federal judge handed down a decision in a dispute between Apple and Epic Games. That's the maker of Fortnite, one of the biggest games in the world. At the time, it was hailed as a huge victory for Epic. Apple stock went into a tailspin, coming from $154 to $149. Now, it may not sound like much, but it is a pretty big move for the largest company in the world. There's just one problem with Wall Street's verdict. Epic didn't really win. In fact, it lost. It lost big. But because a bunch of analysts made some cursory judgments about the judge granting an injunction against Apple based on an obscure provision of a California antitrust law, we assumed it could wreck the profitability of Apple's App Store. Hey, I made the same mistake, too. But if we bother to read the whole opinion, there's 198 pages. I mean, the thing was just incredibly hard. And if we consulted with counsel, we would have realized that Apple came out way ahead. 
Hence why Epic, not Apple, is the one appealing this ruling. Remember, Epic was trying to make the case that Apple exerts monopoly power to extract enormous fees from software developers, fees that discourage innovation, something that's specifically outlawed by the Sherman Antitrust Act. That's the federal one. If Apple had lost on that issue, it would have made sense for the stock to get clobbered. But they won on that issue. The judge said they're not a monopolist. That was probably the most important part of the whole ruling. Granted, Epic won on one narrow issue. Apple has to let app developers link to their own non-Apple storefronts so that they, consumers can buy the products directly. However, the judge admitted that Apple's really just given its customers, the actual users of the phone, what they want and what's best for them, both in terms of convenience and security. I believe we'll look back on this as a victory for Apple. Companies that want to use the App Store will have to comply with Apple's wishes. Why did so many supposed experts get this decision so wrong? Well, in this business, we've all been conditioned to think that if a plaintiff wins a temporary restraining order, then the defendant is pretty much done for. Uh, That's not the case here. It's very rare, but it's not. Unfortunately for Apple, it's difficult to figure out what they can do to cure the judge's finding if they violated California's antitrust law on steering. The judge gave them no roadmap. But that's small potatoes compared to not being in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act. One of the reasons I always say you should own Apple, not trade it, is because with Apple, the customer's always right. While the judge, Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, seemed to want to find against Apple because the company's so damn darn powerful. In the end, being powerful does not make you a monopolist. Ironically, if Apple wanted to avoid antitrust consequences here, it would have had to side against its core customers in favor of a big, rich tech company. I don't think that's a good idea. Look, lawsuits are messy and not easily factored in the numbers. I mean, we know 3M is facing some groundwater pollution lawsuits where it's difficult to fathom the potential consequences. Johnson & Johnson is a boatload of suits against it for talc and baby powder that allegedly cause cancer. Nobody knows what those suits will be worth to the plaintiffs. But in this epic versus Apple ruling, it's pretty easy. It's worth nothing. Apple won. Epic lost. End of story. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.